But yeah, to Daber Day is International Labor Day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I was it's, like, do uh, I need to add another extra wrong syllable and say like Labor Day or something? I don't know. Um, it's just like my my partner was saying, oh yeah, it's Labor Day, and I'm like, oh, I thought. Well, it's it's May Day, and I'm like, of course, it's Labor Day literally everywhere in the world. Uh, Labor Day in the United States is a uh, made-up holiday to take away from May Day. Yeah, oh, also, happy Loyalty Day. Loyalty to whom? Everyone's favorite holiday that they all love and know. Loyalty <laughs> to whom? Our benevolent rulers, of course. <laughs> The benign dictatorship of capital. This is why we have the knife Kirby emoji in the Discord. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. Well, because, I mean, look, it wouldn't be the United States government if they didn't add insult to injury, and the injury being not having, like, Labor Day on real Labor Day, and the insult being, well, let's make it loyalty day to show those goddamn commies who's boss. (laughs) I I I don't even have something like that's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's really stupid. And yet every president like puts out a little like proclamation thing every year. Like, you know, all this stupid press release shit they do. Like every year they're like, Hooray loyalty day. I'm like, why didn't you just put that like just be completely on the nose. Put that on nine eleven. <laughs> like, come on. Like you basically consecrated it as some sort of a sacred day or something. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like, I I could be like loyal to the working class struggle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! I got, yeah. but I guess we should probably just get into it. specifically not heard uh john's not here today so it's just gonna be dan and i and you're listening to work stoppage your favorite labor news program on well i guess the day after labor day because we're recording on i I will keep calling it labor day now i mean it technically is but now it's uh, we're recording on may day on maber day yeah that's right on (laughs) maber day and uh i'm lena and i'm dan Oh yeah, we did it. <laughs> nice. Uh, and we're an entirely listener-supported show, so if you support us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. If you do not, you can via Patreon.com/slash/WorkStoppage. It is how we get anything for doing all of this work, and we really appreciate it as an entirely listener-supported show. Make sure to jump in the Discord to come hang out with us and talk about you know other labor stories or. We're doing the reading group thing. There's uh, new text being selected. So if you want to be part of that, go ahead and jump in the reading group channel to check that out. Um, yeah. Write us a review somewhere. Messages for stickers if you're a patron and haven't gotten them. Let's get going. So yeah, we've got a bit of a slightly shorter episode than normal since John's Maybe. not here. Yeah, we'll see. I, I am, the pages as, are the same length, and there's the and there's still more stories than usual. But well, okay. it's going to be shorter magically. L- well, it's not going to get 
shorter <laughs> if we keep arguing. So <laughs> uh, this is understandable frustration with my inability to write a short episode. But we just want to run down some real quick stories that I just thought we needed to acknowledge because there's some pretty there's a lot of cool stuff that happened last week. So just real quick, first thing, we talked about the new union at Ben and Jerry's that just launched and and you know the push to actually get the supposedly progressive company to recognize them. And while we haven't got voluntary recognition, we did see the company last week agree to Workers United's fair election principles, committing to non-interference with the union drive by Scoopers United. So that's like Really great. You know, obviously we would prefer voluntary recognition, but this is still really good news and it stands in stark contrast to companies like Starbucks, Amazon, and Trader Joe's who have refused to take similar measures. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they were the really the progressive company, they would have outdone what the union demanded and done that voluntary recognition, but, you know, they're still going to win. They had the unanimous uh, support in the beginning. That's right. So... Uh, another story, just wanted to check in uh, real quick on this, although I, d- I didn't even realize why it was important to check in until right when I Googled it this morning. But So we have mentioned previously, I think just last week, that workers, government workers all across Canada have been on strike with their union, uh, PSAC. And just this morning, May 1st, they announced an end to their week-long strike with a tentative agreement. Uh, unfortunately, there was a rather frightening incident last week on one of the, the many, I think like 250 different picket lines across the country, when a non-union delivery driver plowed his truck through a PSAC picket line. Uh, I, thankfully, I, as far as I'm aware, nobody was injured in the incident, uh, and apparently that driver has supposedly been fired, uh, according to the trucking firm, or at least what I could see. But I do think it's important to note this incident specifically because of how common this sort of an attack has become on picket lines. And it's really something that I think unions need to just generally be prepared for now. Like as part of your strike prep checklist, you're going to need a way to deal with, I guess to put it mildly, aggressive drivers. Um, Yeah. I mean like things like like protest marshals, making sure that we have – you know, people in sh- shiny jackets and, and uh, also people who with training and de-escalation and other sorts of things like that. Yeah. And I mean, potentially uh, more than that, depending on how long, spicy and uh, militant your strike is <laughs> um, and what the goals are. But um, yeah, take that advice as, uh, <laughs> you know, just a- as suggest, you know, as you can imagine. But following that incident today, Just early this morning, on Monday, we did hear that the union has reached a tentative agreement with the federal government of Canada to end the strike for most of the 150,000 workers who have been striking. Now, that's not all of them, and it's... There is a decent chunk. The 35,000 Canadian Revenue Agency workers, they do remain on strike. But over 100,000 other workers, uh, there is now a tentative agreement and workers reported back to work this morning. Now, of course, we don't love when that happens and workers don't get to vote before that happens. But this being a federal strike against the federal government, I'm not exactly surprised that that was a condition of the tentative agreement. Um, The TA, as reported, includes a 12.6% raise, which averages out to basically exactly a 3% raise each year over the four-year contract, uh, which is retroactive to 2021 because of how long these negotiations have been going on. 
uh, and includes a one-time $2,500 bonus. And then in addition, the deal includes new provisions allowing some possibility for remote work uh, with a joint union employer board to review disputes when like workers are told they have to stop doing remote work and don't want to. Uh, and then additionally, something I thought was actually pretty cool, the deal includes new time off for indigenous workers uh, for traditional practices, like if you've got like a big event coming up or a ceremony or hunt, or if you know you it's season to go hunting or fishing or something, uh, then they won time off for indigenous workers for that, which that is not something I've seen in a lot of other contracts, and I think that's pretty cool. But yeah. the rest of it, to be frank, with only the three percent raise every year, I feel like the government of Canada could have done a little better than that. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, see what the workers think about it. Yeah. And then just a real quick one. So that store, the uh, Starbucks location in Ithaca that had had the disgusting maggot-filled overflowing grease traps that was closed last year, well, of course, the company continuously said, well, we closed it because of business reasons. Well, leaked corporate emails released last week uh, from Starbucks and highlighted by the union show that internal discussions within the company uh, really highlighted the media coverage of the union drive at that store because of uh, you know all the, the disgustingness from the overflowing grease traps, and that that was clearly one of the primary reasons the company closed the store, which underlines not only the fact that Starbucks is constantly lying, but that they are, in fact, breaking that law, too, <laughs> and illegally closing stores because of unionizing. Surprising no one. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, and then let's see, the next other thing, just wanted to shout out the workers, the Teamster workers at Rise Dispensaries owned by GTI Green Thumb Industries in Illinois, who have now been on an unfair labor practice strike against these businesses for uh, 12 days, which the Teamsters actually say may be the longest ULP strike in the young uh, legal cannabis industry's history, which is interesting. Uh, the workers launched the strike after Rise Management violated the, the classic button clause, demanding that workers remove their union buttons. And uh, in addition, that basically was also the straw that broke the camel's back about how low these workers' wages are. So while the, the prompting incident for the strike was breaking the you know, hallowed button clause of the NLRA, they're also using it as an opportunity to, sh to bring attention to how low their wages are. Uh, in response, the company has hired scabs, they have hired armed security guards, and they have erected a privacy fence around their dispensaries to try and block out the picketers. Yeah, I think that this, uh, if we can take one strong lesson from this, is that uh, the records in the legal weed industry are pretty low, so you can uh, set a lot of world records in this <laughs> way by unionizing your local cannabis store and uh, going on militant strikes and improving working conditions for people in that industry. That's right. Absolutely. And speaking of going on militant strikes to <laughs> win things for people in your industry, uh, so the bargaining team uh, for the academic workers at Rutgers has finally reached an actual tentative agreement. Uh, folks may remember from a couple of weeks ago when their strike was suspended that the worker, the unions had reached a uh, framework of a deal with the administration through the intervention of New, Jer of, of, uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Um, 
But it's been two weeks kind of dragging on while the unions hammer out the final details. But now there is a tentative agreement, uh, the details of which some of which have been posted. I dropped some stuff in the Discord. It seemed pretty similar to the stuff that was announced two weeks ago, or at least what we had heard as far as uh, wages. So, uh, you know, when workers have a chance to vote on it, if the strike officially ends, we'll get more into the details on that. But they'll be voting on that this week. So that's that's a big development there. Then... Just one other real quick, super quick announcement. Uh, There is now a third Barnes & Noble location that has filed for a union election. And that was this was at the store's biggest location in Manhattan, where workers marched on management and declared their intention to unionize on Friday, April 28th. Hell yeah. Love a march on management. That's right. And then uh, just wanted to real quick, this really in another week probably would have been a full story, but wanted to shout out uh, some workers who just went on strike today. This was brought to uh, our attention by one of our listeners. Um, where 800 public workers in Shasta County, California, uh, are go- announced a two-week-long strike starting today, May 1st. They're fighting to improve wages that they say are so low that it's actually keeping the county from being able to properly staff all their needed positions and that there's like 200 positions vacant with the county government because of how low the wages are. No, just nobody wants to work there because they just don't pay enough. And so the United Public Employees of California, uh, Local 792, which is affiliated with LIUNA, which represents those workers, has also noted that the, the county's offer for the new contract for the workers with a 2.5% raise uh, not only represents a pay cut due to inflation, but it comes paired with a 66% increase in healthcare costs, which leaves workers with a lower take-home pay than they had before the proposed offer. It, in, in actually like a 7% wage cut. And so workers are instead demanding a 15% pay raise so that it cancels out basically both the inflation and the increased healthcare costs. So like asking for a 15% raise may sound high, but it's like honestly kind of what they need just to break even. And so uh, the the union does actually say they did announce a planned end date of two weeks Um Basically saying that, you know, they didn't want to deprive the citizens of the county of the services that they provide in their jobs for an overly long extended period of time, which, I mean, seems noble, but also potentially undermining the leverage of the strike. So, uh, but regardless, shouts out to these folks, uh, complete bullshit to get offered a deal that represents a pay cut. Yeah, like a straight up pay cut, like they, the raise there is even a pay cut and then the uh, increase to the healthcare premiums on top of that is just as uh, is said insult to injury yeah that's terrible but moving on to our first full in-depth story this week this is probably one a lot of people saw because this made a lot of big headlines at least the day it was announced on monday april 24th that the teamsters had come out and, you know, they said they were going to unionize Amazon. They did it, folks. They have come in and they have unionized the first group of Amazon delivery drivers in the country. Uh, and I know I may be sounding a bit flippant in my tone of voice, and it's not because the what the, wor- the work that the Teamsters did wasn't incredibly cool, which it is, but that it's going to highlight a really big problem in U.S. labor law. So in this announcement, the union noted that the 84 workers at Battle Tested Strategies, which 
is not the, if you just told me the name of the company, I wouldn't have said, oh yeah, Amazon delivery company. <laughs> I would have probably said that's a mercenary company. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, yeah, this is definitely uh, a contractor for the military industrial complex. Yeah. But no, they are in fact a delivery contractor. I believe that yeah, Amazon's term is delivery service partners or DSPs. Uh, <laughs> they operate out of the DAX 8 facility in Palmdale, California, and they had their union voluntarily recognized by the company owner uh, last week who and who also agreed to a contract with the workers basically right away. That was really interesting to me. It seems like it was almost coordinated in a way that uh, the owner seemed to know exactly what Amazon was going to try to do and really mm -hmm. wanted to actually make it so that the workers weren't so in danger. Right. And like the contract that, see, the thing is, even if I, battle tested strategies does not sound like a delivery company, but I can't just use the acronym because it's BTS, which isn't that like that big K-pop band. Yeah, and K-pop <laughs> is a criminal organization, or is a criminal industry. I mean, yes, but, uh, so see, this is the thing. There's no good option, but anyway. If you know so that, a lot about K-pop and how criminal it is, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we could get into all the ripple effects of U.S. neocolonialism in Korea, but actually, I mean, really, at this point, really just straight colonialism, but, yeah. um... But anyways, so this delivery company, they agreed to the the this contract with the workers that includes immediate raises as well as higher earnings, you know, in the future and addresses key issues raised by the delivery drivers all across the country like excessive surveillance, lack of heat protection, and this is all being uh, this is all reported by Lauren K Gurley at the Washington Post. And so the company's owner, Jonathan Irvin, told the Washington Post that he decided to recognize the union after repeatedly asking Amazon to address his driver's concerns about heat and vehicle safety, and they just refused. He said that, like one driver was hospitalized from heat exhaustion last year, and so in response, he changed his company policy to allow workers to end their shifts before completing all their deliveries if they were concerned that you know it was dragging on too long, they were getting exhausted, they are concerned about their health. And in response to that, which is the sort of thing you'd be like, wait, isn't that like mandated by law i was about to say like that's literally a it's just saying we will abide by the law but in response to that amazon threatened to cut the company's contract i yeah how dare you treat these drivers humanely you get back to whipping them half to death right now or you're fired like yeah I mean, it's straight out of like if you know we we did the that patron episode about sorry we missed you, but it, like it really is. It, it comes back to that movie for me, so that's why I love that movie. Anyways, anyways, watch Ken Loach movies, folks. Great, uh, great social realism. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so. In this announcement, uh, Victor Mineros, who's the secretary treasurer of Teamsters Local 396 there in Palmdale, California, said, quote, Amazon delivery drivers at DAX 8 have made history by organizing their union with Teamsters Local 396 to demand dignity and respect at work. I commend these workers for their courage to take on this greedy multi-billion dollar corporation. We are confident that this will lead other Amazon workers nationwide to organize with the Teamsters, end quote. I think that it's really important the way that they're phrasing this is that these are Amazon workers. It may seem mm -hmm. like they are just contractors, but we're going to get into a little bit more. But before we get to that, we're going to get one more quote uh, this time from uh, Rajpal Singh, 
who is one of the newly unionized drivers who told the Washington Post, quote, we just want fair pay and safe jobs. I hope other drivers join in because what we deserve is not what we're getting, end quote. Yeah, I mean, I think that's putting it mildly. <laughs> so, and so this is, you know, obviously this is a big deal. Like this contract is the first one reached with any of Amazon's over 3,000 delivery service partners, those independent contracting delivery firms that the company hires to deliver packages all over the country. Um, but it really, again, gets into these distinctions that don't make any sense in U.S. labor law, which is that the contract is directly with the workers and battle-tested strategies. Amazon does not play a part in it because according because according to them, they are not an employer of these drivers. They all, The drivers only work for battle-tested strategies, Except. which of course, yeah, that doesn't make any sense because like Amazon has strict control for every one of these DSPs. It's in the contract terms between Amazon and these independent, in air quotes, contractors that they control wages, Amazon controls routes, they control schedules, and they have the ability to directly fire drivers. <laughs> so they are employing these people. Right, exactly. And this is the thing. So this is, it's, it's, it, it's very similar. We've talked about this on the show before, the way that franchising has been used uh, to get have a loophole in the way that, you know, McDon McDonald's is like, oh, we don't employ any of these people that work at McDonald's. <laughs> it's... It's the franchisee who's the employer. You go bother them with their like labor law violations. You leave big corporate McDonald's alone. <laughs> yeah, it's just a sleight of hand, if anything. Yeah, it yeah, it, it's bullshit. Like these the, these workers obviously work for Amazon. If, if 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 one entity controls how much you're paid, they control when you're there, and they can tr have the ability to fire you. You work for them. <laughs> like that just is how it is but because of that bullshit legal separation amazon has the option of simply cutting bait with with battle tested strategies now that they've unionized they can simply choose to not renew their contract and that's actually what they've told the press that they have done they told the washington post and Dave Jamieson at the Huffington Post independently, that they had already planned to stop working with battle-tested strategies even prior to the union drive. Amazon spokesperson Eileen Hards told reporters, quote, this particular third-party company, <laughs> of course they say that in there, uh, had a track record of failing to perform and had been notified of its termination for poor performance well before today's announcement, end quote. Which, you know, I, I believe that you know, if there have been workers complaining, uh, if they got even the slightest whiff of that, that Amazon's ready to cut them loose. Uh, but that also, you know, if they were employed by Amazon would be a violation of labor law. Right. And this kind of uh, vague separation is just an excuse to be able to fire union workers. Yeah, I mean... I certainly can believe that Amazon had been planning to cut the contract with this place before, like, this past Monday. But I guarantee you when they made that decision was, like, the day they found out about the union drive. <laughs> like, it, come on. Like, and the thing is, we have, there's a history of this, too. Like, 
Back in 2017, the Teamsters organized another DSP, this time in Michigan. They didn't reach a contract with that one, but they did, they did win a union vote. And right after they won the union vote, Amazon cut the contract with that DSP. And now Vox and a couple other press outlets that I've seen have reported that the comp- that Amazon's contract with Battletested Strategies runs through October. And so for the moment, these newly unionized workers are still delivering for Amazon. So they are, in fact, unionized Amazon delivery drivers. But the company's statement does seem to indicate that they will not be renewing them when their contract expires in October. And that really gets to the problem of this, which is that that joint that the fact that they're not counted as a joint employer means that they functionally can fire workers for unionizing because they're claimed not to be working for them. Well, yeah, and there's metrics for... Uh having any company that exists i mean they could basically say that oh yeah we were about to cut that contract loose anyway because they right. just are a turn they they have turnover for everything they have a mm-hmm. literally a plan to cut their entire transportation service and hire a bunch of new companies like they could just say it's part of their plan whether it was specific to this one or not and the union just makes it a convenient reason to be like oh yeah it is time for this one to go yeah so one thing I will say, uh, and, you know, the Teamsters seem to have been very intentional about this announcement. Um, and it's possible that Amazon will be able to just fire these workers. But if they do that, if they do cut the contract, I'm, I feel like it's pretty much assured the Teamsters are going to be filing a lawsuit against them for an uh-huh. unfair labor practice for firing workers for protected concerted activity. And while at the moment there is, you know, there isn't an interpretation saying that Amazon is their joint employer. I mean, I, I think the teamsters have a pretty strong fucking case that Amazon is these workers employer. Yeah. And that therefore this would be an illegal retaliatory firing. And should they get that? Because of course, you know, as we've said on the show so many times, just getting your job back is not a sufficient penalty for companies illegally firing you. But the more important thing here would be that that would set the precedent that every one of those 3,000 DSPs around the country is an Amazon operation. And that would mean that every si- that they can't be fired every single one of them for unionizing. Now they could be fired for all sorts of other things. And, you know, we've talked about how that debate is always difficult, but that would open the door to make it so much easier for a union like the Teamsters to organize every Amazon driver in the country. So we'll be continuing to keep our eye on this one. Cause like that could be a huge precedent setting uh, change. Yeah, it's an interesting tactic to set up uh, a loss that you know is going to happen in order to bring it to to actual litigation of some sort. Yeah, I mean, and obviously none of that should be necessary. And, and you know, they have been out there like, hey, just pass the PRO Act so we don't, like, have to do this. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I honestly, you know, we've said so many times before, it's a waste of time to rely on the Democrats to pass better labor legislation. So... What's another avenue? Unfortunately, because of, you know, how bullshit our fake democracy is, you have to do this shenanigans with the NLRB. But if it sets the precedent, that's like, you know, almost as good as a passing uh, uh, labor reform. Yeah. 
well, speaking of labor reform and right. also a union that tends to act as an arm of the funding operations of the Democratic Party, let's mm-hmm. talk about the UFCW convention and what sort of things have been going on there. So for the last couple of years, we've seen major victories by rank and file reform movements in the two biggest unions in the U.S., the Teamsters and the UAW, after fighting for years to get Democratic elections of leadership militants in the TDU and the UAWD successfully beat out the old guard of the business unionists who had managed the decline of both unions for years and brought fresh faces and a promise of a more democratic, more confrontational union willing to fight for the members. Now, again, there's a really big union called the UFCW that uh, holds a convention every five years. And, you know, that was going on just this past week. And uh, we got to see the the Essential Workers for Democracy caucus or group, basically like members of UFCW who have been trying to create a like militant reform slate and create actual reforms within the union show up to this convention and try to have their voices heard. Now, the UFCW, the fifth largest union in the United States with over 1.2 million members, is a majority of like grocery stores and and those sorts of things. And so these are some of the lower paid workers in the United States in general, which we would say would mean that that area needs to be more militant. But we have not actually seen that from the USCW in general. Uh, As reported by Labor Notes, some of the key issues that the reformers have been fighting for is one member, one vote. Uh, strike pay on day one because originally it was day 14 you had to be on day 14 of your strike in order to actually get any strike pay Uh, they wanted a cap on salaries of international officers and a restriction on the ability of of the national union to impose trusteeships on a local yeah and i mean one of the things that i I think is really key to emphasize with that strike pay thing Strike pay on day 14, like that's bad no matter what your job is. But if you work at, say, a Kroger, the biggest grocery store in the country, and therefore, you know, probably the biggest single company that is unionized by the UFCW. But we've talked about how horrific the working conditions are for workers at Kroger and how and it's like half of the workers like have to pick between rent and buying enough food. So that's the situation that the majority of the workers are facing. And you're telling them that they're not going to get paid anything for two weeks. Like you're talking about folks that are already living like paycheck to paycheck doesn't cover it. And Mm -hmm. so that is an enormous hurdle to clear, to be able to convince people to strike. So, you know, you can kind of think, who would put such a rule in place? (laughs) What sort of regime? Yeah. Uh, Well, obviously, business unionists or people who are interested in labor peace, which, I mean, Mm -hmm. we actually, I think that the UFCW was one of the original companies that came uh, to form our original statement when they were talking, because was it the UFCW that was talking about or, uh, organizing well, the, the yes, industries with the labor piece? Oh, sorry. Uh, the <laughs> UFCW is, a, is, yeah, I know, I'm getting my words mixed up. Uh, 
We're recording later than usual, folks. You're going to have to give me well, a small break. <laughs> and the thing is, though, when we look into how the union's been run under the leadership of current president Mark Perone, you can start to wonder why Lena might have accidentally called the UFCW a company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to get into that, there has been some really great research done um, by uh, some folks who have been working with Labor Notes. Uh, I believe it was Chris Bomer. I apologize if I screwed up the name. I, I should have put it in the notes. But there's a great article digging into the like conditions at the UFCW over the last decade. So since 2014, when the current president, Mark Prone, took office, the union's assets have risen over 60% from $320 million to $520 million. Now that, by itself, sounds fantastic. I mean, you know, uh, you gained, like, over 50% uh, in, in a decade on your assets. That's You're making, you made $200 million. That's a lot. Problem is, in that same period, the union lost over 100,000 members. And the point of the union, because it's a workers' organization, <laughs> is not... It's not a capitalist organization. It's not to just accrue money and build up a big like wealth fund. It's to organize workers. <laughs> and so if you lose 100,000 workers, it doesn't matter that you gained $200 million. You lost 100,000 workers. A decline of nearly 10%. That's not good. And spending on union activities such as organizing has dropped 25% during Perone's term at the head of the union. And the assets... That the, that the union has, you know, all this new extra money, they're not being spent on strikes because the union is averaging less than $700,000 a year on strike pay during this period, which, just to put that in context, by comparison, the union spent more in the past decade hiring consultants than it did on strike pay. And now that would be bad if it was like they just barely spent more. They spent 12.6 times as much as they did on strike pay on political contributions. Now I understand it's separate, like, you know, the, it's a separate pack, but it's, you, you raised $67 million and spent that on donating shit to the Democrats when maybe if you'd, you know, spent more of that to raise dues and raise your strike fund, you'd be able to go on more effective strikes more often. But anyway, right. Well, and I mean, creating that militant movement that is actually the way in which, like legislation comes to exist as right. we know right. as you know his people who look at history and the way that things actually change right and and so there's another part of the reason why the union has spent so little on strike pay it's not just because the president you know doesn't want them to strike and discourages strikes and the generally the board is run by business unionists it's also because the bylaws of the UFCW are extremely undemocratic and now we've now to be fair we have seen clauses like this at other unions as well and we don't like them anywhere uh, specifically what i mean is that launching a strike in the UFCW doesn't require a simple majority vote it requires a two-thirds vote and then if you want to continue striking after a tentative agreement has been recommended by the bargaining team, you have to get two-thirds of the voters to reject it. Again, not a simple majority. 
Uh, that rule specifically torpedoed a democratically agreed on strike at the Heaven Hill Distillery back in 2021 when 54% of workers who were on strike there voted against a tentative agreement, but they were forced by the union's bylaws to end the strike because that didn't clear the two-thirds threshold. And this is very similar to undemocratic rules that the Teamsters used to have that screwed over the UPS workers during the 2019 UPS contract negotiations when Jimmy Hoffa Jr. agreed to a, uh, or negotiated a, we'll just say, extremely mediocre contract agreement, uh, a tentative agreement, and then a majority of UPS workers voted against it, but not enough to clear the what was at the time existing threshold in the Teamsters uh, Constitution. However, anger at that undemocratic move did help prompt the TDU-backed reform slate uh, in taking office at the next convention election and changing that rule. And that is exactly the model that UFCW reformers are fighting to enact at the UFCW convention. And I I might not be... I'm not 100% certain about this, but I think Heaven Hill is a pretty new union and this might even be their first contract uh if not one of their earliest contracts and if your first or earliest contracts is imposed upon you by the union i have a pretty bad feeling about what's how, how about that union you know unfortunately because well, people just, could get pretty unfortunate sentiments based yeah. on that sort of action yeah you can it's it's easy to understand how people become bitter and anti-union when stuff like that happens it's not you know it's not the right reaction like it's not this is not a problem inherent to unions it's a problem with the way that this specific undemocratic setup is and you can change that and that's exactly what the reform ufcw movement is attempting to do uh but one other thing that they pointed out is that much smaller unions than the ufcw like the cwa and unite here have vastly outspent the ufcw on strike pay which just underlines how the anti-democratic bylaws of the union support maintaining this you know stagnant uh non-militant uh arrangement that that is is currently being run by the business unionist leadership of the ufcw and so the reformers are fighting for an increase in spending on organizing by 20 percent, and that half of that money be under the control of the individual locals rather than the international and being directed top down so that organizing campaigns can be run in a rank and file manner uh, they're also fighting to cap officer salaries at two hundred fifty thousand dollars because currently there are at least Half a dozen UFCW local presidents making over $400,000. And while, you know, look, I'm not necessarily against, like, workers being making good wages, but it's tough to square when uh, the average grocery worker salary for UFCW members is $32,000, less than a tenth of those exorbitant salaries by those. Again, only a few union local presidents like that. There's a lot of locals, and this is, like, less at least this is half a dozen but it's too that's a lot of money when you compare to the average salary that the workers in these locals are making yeah well and i mean they did get a couple you know the the reformers at the convention did make a couple changes like it you know strike pay was moved from the 14th day to the eighth day still not great but you know it's moving in the right yeah it's improvement they got a reformer on the board 
uh, it, they made a couple things. There's a, a little thread on it uh, that we'll be sure to repost in the uh, in the uh, episode channel of the Discord if you want to actually go over what uh, the reformers said they won. Yeah. So uh, now, just to take a quick, uh, you know, shift. South of the border, we've got another story in the series uh, that we or just, you know, the, the movement that we've been following uh, by independent unions in Mexico, uh, really, you know, fighting to shake off decades of domination of the Mexican labor movement by the corrupt company-friendly CTM. Uh, there's a new entry in this movement where this week we saw once again the underhanded tactics that this company union will sink to to try and hold on to their comfortable uh, position of domination. Uh, last Monday, April 24th, the Mexican labor ministry announced that it was ordering the rerunning of a union election at a Goodyear plant in the state of San Luis Potosí uh, after uncovering blatant meddling by the CTM, and <laughs> it's really, really blatant. So yeah, it's actually you're not, you're you're actually if you haven't heard of this story yet, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> so this Goodyear plan is the latest, uh, you know, in a series of bi- big factories going under the legally mandated vote process on whether they want to keep their affiliation with the CTM or be represented by a new independent union. And, you know, as we've talked about in the past, across Mexico for decades, the CTM has functioned essentially as a company union in most of the places where it operated with with corrupt officials taking deluxe positions and payoffs in order to refuse to enforce a strong contract and and to punish any workers who dissent. Now, there have recently, thanks to some changes in in Mexico's labor law, there have been many victories by independent unions in the last couple of years as Mexican workers have been using that uh, that change in the law to help them stand up and demand a real contract with a real independent and democratically controlled union. But the CTM continues to try and hold on to power. And in this case, they just straight up stole ballot boxes (laughs) during the election. (laughs) That's right. They picked them up and left with them. And I love that it's like, oh, how did they find out about it? It's like, well, they were caught on security camera. (laughs) They just walked up to them (laughs) and stole the ballot boxes. (laughs) Like, it's so brazen. (laughs) I'm like almost impressed. (laughs) Yeah. I, I... I don't know. I I had no words when I was like, oh, they stole ballots. Oh, how? Uh, okay, well, maybe they, you know, just snuck in while you know everything was closed. It's like, no, they caught were caught on camera picking up the boxes <laughs> and carrying them out. Yeah. So, the CTM has been challenged at this Goodyear plant by independent union uh, La Liga or the League. Um, <laughs> Uh, who had filed a complaint against them earlier this year for refusing to release contract details to their own members. And uh, workers had been halfway through the process of voting at the Goodyear plan on which union would represent them when the labor ministry just stopped the vote because they're like, hey, uh, the CTM stole ballot boxes, <laughs> so we have to redo the election. <laughs> which I'm just like, Okay, yeah. I'm glad you you stopped it, but I'm should shouldn't that just disqualify the CTM? That's exactly what I was thinking, and you know, I guess they're still working out this these labor law reforms or something because really that should just be they have to, should have to forfeit. Yeah, no, I agree. So, but they're going to rerun the vote with additional security and with independent observers 
to try and prevent any meddling. And so uh, La Liga has long accused the CTM of consistently negotiating substandard contracts with lower pay and worse benefits than other comparable business in the tire industry. And so this just really serves to underline how far those corrupt officials will go to hang on to their position. So solidarity with these workers. And I have to imagine after this incident, if it's run in any way fair, La Liga is just going to run away with this vote. Yeah. Uh, I mean, after seeing the CTM literally steal votes, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I just like anyone who is like, no, I mean, they weren't that bad. I want to keep them. And they're just like, wait a minute. They stole all the votes? Nah, <laughs> I think we're done with them. Anyway, uh, to move to our next international story, we're going to be talking about rail- royal mail workers who have, cur- who have reached a tentative agreement. So after the RMT reached their deal with Network Rail that met many of the key demands to protect jobs and safety of maintenance work, asterisk? Oh. Oh, sorry. So I screwed up the notes. <laughs> uh the RMT has reached a deal with Network Rail, but not with the individual train uh, operators. And on Thursday this week, they rejected a proposed deal with them. So there are still strikes on track despite their deal with Network Rail. So anyways, ah, that's the asterisk. The, back to the Royal Mail workers. Right, right. So this week, the UCU announced that they'd reached a deal with the Royal Mail to end their series of one and two day strikes that the union has been rolling over the past several months. Uh, the deal includes a 10% pay rise over three years, 2% retroactive, 6% this year, and 2% next year. The deal also forces Royal Mail to abandon plans to create a gig package delivery service where they would have converted package drivers to owner drivers or like owner operators, that mm-hmm. sort of nonsense, which would have further worsened wages and conditions for delivery workers. The deal also prevents mandatory layoffs for the duration of the contract. The deal will allow the Royal Mail to push delivery drivers to deliver later in the day, but only by 90 minutes compared to the three hours that the company was originally pushing for. And uh, while the 10% raise is better than what was offered before the strike, uh, UK inflation uh, for 2022 alone was over 11%. So this is still a pay cut. There are 115,000 postal workers who are set to vote on this, and uh, we'll see what they think. I don't, I don't really think that we have a good temperature check of what the workers are, are thinking at no. the moment. But, no, not really. Uh, we will be seeing something. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, confidence that this TA will pass, but again, we don't really have a temperature check on this one. Yeah, it's tough. I, I mean, I personally don't like. I don't. I, th- I think they could have gotten more. <laughs> like, look, I'm not in the UK. I don't know the conditions, but considering you know the millions of workers have been on strike, I feel like now is the time to like get that like contract that you need, and that you know this is still not really a real pay raise, uh, and the Royal, I feel like these workers have a lot of leverage. And I know that it's not it doesn't seem like British trade unions really build up big strike funds to do long protracted strikes like we do here in the U.S. Um, so I understand that makes doing an indefinite strike like very difficult. So I don't know. I'm sure it's tough, like you know, missing out on those days of pay for the workers when they've been on strike. So. Uh, maybe it's just you know the sort of thing that this is what they could get, but we'll see when the workers vote. So, yeah. but some workers we know are are staying on strike. 
is the teachers all across the UK. Uh, last Thursday, April 27th, teachers launched another massive strike with 200,000 out across England, Scotland, Wales, and the north of Ireland. Uh, and this is the fifth nationwide day of strike action since teachers began their strikes last year. Uh, and Dr. Mary Boosted, one of the heads of the National Education Union, told the BBC, quote, this is not an education service which is able to function properly anymore because of the ongoing crisis in our schools. Members would not be taking strike action when they're already inadequately paid if they felt there was any alternative. We want to negotiate. We want to end this dispute, quote. But the reason they have not been able to end it is that the government has been telling workers, that the, at least in, in England specifically, that the best that they're going to be able to get is a 4.3% raise, which is less than half of last year's inflation, and a one-time bonus of £1,000, which still amounts to a real-term pay cut. And the workers say that's not going to cut it, because of course it's not. It's a pay cut. Uh and have lambasted the Tory government for refusing to even come to the table to hear alternative offers, much less negotiate on other critical issues like class size, teacher workload, things like that. And instead, the Tories have continued attacking teachers in the press uh, for striking, claiming that the strikes hurt students, you know, the same concern trolling we hear all the time with teacher strikes, all while claiming that they are increasing school funding despite the fact that per student spending is lower than it was 10 years ago. And teacher salaries have decreased by 20% over the last decade. Yeah, so this has been a massive pay cut over the last decade, including this pay cut that they're trying to get imposed on the teachers now. And... Mm -hmm. So really, the amount that these teachers should get as a raise is, uh, what is that? Thirty six percent, thirty, yeah, yeah, over thirty percent. Sure, yeah, seems right to me. And and just to like to to really crystallize like the conditions these teachers are are facing. There was there was one quote that I read from a, a striking teacher named Kiera, who told Taj Ali at the Tribune during an earlier strike day back in March, quote. I knew I was never going to live a life of luxury, but I didn't think that I'd be unable to visit my brother who lives less than 15 miles away because I can only afford two tanks of fuel in my car a month. This government, more so than any that have gone before it in my lifetime, is waging war on the working class. Their plan is to divide us amongst any and all lines they can. We must not let them. Together, as a movement of the people, we need to show this government they cannot win. We will stand up for ourselves and for each other. End quote. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I mean, solidarity is the only way that they're going to make it through this. And, you know, I mean, obviously, the ruling class really loves dividing workers in any way that they can. So this worker is obviously very clear on the way that this is going down. But, uh, yeah, so to kind of get at what we've been following additionally back in the United States very often, we're going to talk about some more academic organizing at many different major universities. So on Friday, April 28th, the academic organizing wave got its biggest new edition of the year with 5,700 grad students who oh, work yeah. at uh, Sanford who officially filed for a union election with the UE. One of Let's our favorite go. unions. Hell yeah. The filing came one week after the workers asked the university for voluntary recognition, which the, was not surprising anyone that they did not provide. Yeah. 
During their organizing drive, the workers collected union cards from nearly 4,000 of the 5,700 students, student workers, uh, and clearly, and this is actually really a trend that we've seen so much in these Mm -hmm. unions, is supermajority support before even the vote, which is, and, and not even after, like, years and years of organizing necessarily because a lot of these drives even if those organizations have been around for a while a lot of them have new members who are revitalizing these movements Mm -hmm. and so it is really really cool to see them get so many people signing union cards in a short period of time of organizing Uh, the workers have identified many of the same issues academic workers that have been organizing all around have been facing, such as low pay, unaffordable university housing, expensive health care, lack of mental health resources, workplace harassment, uh, food insecurity, which is uh, one that is like, I, I know that people always say that when you're in college or whatever, you know, you're eating ramen, but these are like, these are people working at the college. These are people who, like, I, like and I don't want to make excuses for other people not having enough food because that's also a crime. But, like, just the amount that these workers have been exploited, it's, it's no surprise that there are so many people out there ready to fight. Some workers, uh, especially, par- especially parents, note that they have often had to take out personal loans just to afford bills to make it through each semester because stipends are so low and the cost of health care is so high. Student workers also noted the awful conditions international students face, such as visa restrictions, and the way that gives their advisors extreme power, and, and the way that these restrictions give extreme power over the international students. PhD philosophy student Mika Jarte, uh, forgive me if that's pronounced wrong, told the, uh, the Stafford Daily, the school's student newspaper, that they've already anticipated the ways that the school may try to scare international students into not supporting the union. Uh, with a, this little quote, uh, quote, Sanford will not be able to pit us against each other. We are the union and we are going to have each other's backs, end quote. Hell yeah, that's right. You know, we love to see stuff like that and... <laughs> Not a big fan of Stanford's response, which has been to be really condescending uh, and use liberal academic language to disguise their disdain for workers. Uh, Like, for instance, in the way that they decided to set up a website to provide facts about unionization. Now, I will say, as far as anti-union websites set up claiming to be neutral about union facts... It's not the worst one that I've seen, but that's because the bar is so damn low. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> it had one of the more bizarre attacks on unionizing that I've seen where they basically tried to concern troll about future workers agency. They basically were arguing that unionizing is somehow undemocratic because future student workers are not involved in the vote. And, and what I mean is they, they said, quote, it is important to note that if elected, the union will represent not only today's graduate students, but future graduate students who will not have had the same opportunity to vote on union representation, end quote. There are so many <laughs> implications of this, like, 
I is it that any time that uh, an organization decides to do something or invite new people in that they have to re- to just vote on whether or not to dissolve the whole thing? Yeah. So this is what Mao was talking about when he warned about ultra democracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so obviously, like, that's just some bullshit. They're just like, hmm, we have to make up, like, what what, what will appeal to, to grad students to trick them into voting against the union? Well, let's pretend we care about grad students' agency. Yeah, which, which is, like, it's, it's just a slap in the face considering, like, what agency do they have in the first place without a union? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. The other thing, though, that's also... Uh, stood out to me about their like union facts website is their like really strong point that they like basically if the if if they could have put it in like super bold giant text without looking ridiculous they probably would have where it says they're like well you know if a union is elected we will negotiate on the things we're legally required to and not academic issues, which are separate from employment issues, basically like really trying to preempt yeah. them. Like don't come in here trying to tell us about how to run the university that you help run. Yeah. Uh, so the, the conditions part of wages and conditions is not on the table. Right. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, but like, the thing is, like, even though Stanford is, you know, pushing back against these workers, like, they've got supermajority support. They're going to win. And so uh, workers have, have remained very confident in, in that. And so uh, organizer Tanya Flores uh, said in a statement, quote, it's really our hope that the university will recognize that these are solvable issues that we can work together to address and that the university will respect our desire to bargain in good faith, end quote. And and I'll just say I think you are giving the university way more good faith than they have shown towards the union, despite them not deserving it. <laughs> we see that very often with workers that they really want things to be better. They really believe that things can be better, mm-hmm. but the people in charge don't give a fuck. They just mm-hmm. don't. They're really not interested in that. And, you know, in that similar note, we've got even more union news at universities because uh meanwhile halfway across the country on the same day graduate student workers at the university of minnesota voted to unionize in a 97 percent victory let's go like these it's amazing because they uh managed to get so many uh cards and you're like wow they got a super majority that's great they're probably going to get like 80 percent in the vote no 97 <laughs> bam you Oh, oh, I love that. When I was looking at them, it's like less than 70 people out of 2,500 voted against it. It, it rules. Yeah. And the, yeah, that's, that's, and that's just one because also on Friday, the grad student workers at UMass Dartmouth also won their union election in a landslide uh, with a smaller bargaining group, but the workers voted. Uh, 119 to 3 in favor of joining the uh the AFT. Man, awkward to be one of those three people who is wrong. They are not <laughs> they're never going to admit it. They're like that's going to be a silent no vote for the rest of eternity. <laughs> On their deathbed they're going to confess to their grandchildren, "I made a terrible mistake." <laughs> but thankfully my coworkers prevented me from ruining my life. That's right. 
Uh, but let's improve some lives of the <laughs> listeners by going over some memes. That's now, right, folks. It's the meme review. I think that wow, this wow, will... Wow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this first one, I think, is... Uh, really interesting, even in the context of what we were talking about, because we've been talking about like reforming unions, but unions are workers' organizations and therefore right. are not subject to the exact same uh, principles of, you know, revolution. I mean, because what is there to revolutionize in a union because the union is the workers? They will, you know, be the ones in charge. But this meme is kind of an old... Uh, comic where they have you know they're kind of knocking reform and uh, the there's this bus this, just to want, yeah to to quickly basically what we're saying is this is making fun of people telling you to vote for the Democrats that's what we're talking exactly about. exactly <laughs> I was trying to not conflate it but then I am getting too long winded because I got uh, anyway so this is they got this carousel caras carousel 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 sure i now you've said it enough times i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well uh it's it's labeled reform and uh then there's this bus outside that is labeled uh socialism revolution departs when full and the reform people are like join you not a chance <laughs> at least we're getting somewhere which is uh, around in a circle uh and this is very true we need all of these people who uh, are going to tell you to vote for the Democrats to get off of that that uh, merry-go-round and uh, jump on the revolution bus. Motherfuckers will tell you they've got all these people elected, and then those people are elected, and they vote to give money to Israeli occupation in Palestine. Uh, but anyway. Um, or vote to crush rail strikes. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> But for a happier note than that, and a, maybe a simpler meme that requires really no explanation on this one, because <laughs> uh, that's the only thing. That's really my only criticism of that other one is there's a whole lot of context you need. But this one, very simple. You got this, you, you got impact font <laughs> and a picture of a cute animal. And so it's It's a this, seal. It is a smiling seal with its eyes closed. Just looks like happy as Blissful. shit. And and then it's when customers pull at the door, and it's locked. <laughs> <laughs> I you know people who have worked in service uh, know this feeling all too well. And you know in the mornings it can be a little stressful if people are being real assholes. But also, it's locked. You can just ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I only very brief. I only worked in like a service type position, like when I was in high school. But like even then, like working at concessions, it'd be like when we got to the point where it was closing time, like uh, in like after the you know halfway through the third period of the hockey game, and it's just shut that shit down, and people are walking up like, oh hey, can I get? Nope, nope, nope. go away, <laughs> fuck off, <laughs> closed. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it's yeah. good stuff. And then our next meme is a classic. This is based on a... Well, it's not a classic, but it's based on a, cla a classic, which is the All Your Base meme, uh, which I guess... You know, I'm not going to explain it. You need to look it up if you don't know what all your base is. And you know what? It might not even be funny to you. But this one is a, is a version with Marx's face... Uh, 
like uh you know the the one the marx guy marx you know wrote the book uh anyway he's saying all your means are belong to us and i i don't know it's like this little throwback i gotta say this is like a reddit type meme at this point unfortunately yeah i'm not on reddit <laughs> i appreciate their effort like this i i feel like this is like like a Rosetta Stone for speaking with like Gen X like nerds and trying to convert people to socialism and be like, oh, no, you can't give them deep fried memes because they won't understand it. Like they're too old. <laughs> they will frighten and confuse them. And so you just have to be like, what would have been hilarious to your average like middle class office worker in 2006. All right, here you go. <laughs> hey, this one, but it's got marks in it. So those people go. still need to be organized. Use That's this right. meme to your advantage. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is why you can then also use this very other although actually kind of similar time frame meme, I think. Except for for people more our age. You yes, because this is Powerpuff people. Girls. This yes, this is very much millennial. So this is the, you the format of this is it's the the intro uh, of the Powerpuff Girls show where they're like explaining how they made them, and and so it's, and this is from meme creator, ubiquitous USSR, and then it's long working hours, very little pay, alienation. And then it gets to the where they mess up and the, they put the I don't know chemical whatever, X. Sure, I don't. I, it's been a really it's long chemical time X. since I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that one is labeled with a big ham sick, and it's but Professor Bourgeoisie accidentally added an extra ingredient to the workers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a ham sick liquid flowing in. I love it. The uh, the d- chemical other class the, consciousness. The sugar spice and everything nice. Long working hours, very little pay, alienation. Yeah, yeah. I just like maybe it's uh, just uh, feeling a little. Well, I don't know. I thought people said that the memes were very good this week. I thought <laughs> that they were okay and had to go with these retro style memes, but also could just show how I am a little disconnected from the um, modern meme uh, people. Poor, it's poor worker who blames his tools. but uh but our last one here isn't this isn't even really a meme it's just graffiti this this is more like was this like is this like a valentine this would be like if that strike that's going on right has been going on in france was going on during valentine's day because this is just somebody who spray painted loving you is as easy as hating the police (laughs) and then it's somebody else spray painted next to it in really bright blue heart a cab (laughs) That's right. That's right. I love Extremely it. Extremely wholesome graffiti. Yeah. And if you'd like to see these memes so that you can get a better gauge of what they actually look like, you can jump in the Discord because they are posted in the episode discussion channel every single week. You can even go back because they are tagged. If you have been going back through old episodes, you can find old meme reviews up to a certain point. But anyway, uh, that's it for Basically us. Basically like week. a year back. Yeah, yeah. So pretty pretty far. But uh that's it for this week. We want to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us as an entirely listener supported show, we really appreciate it. You can do that at patreon.com/workstoppage. And uh or you know, 
if you can't afford to do that, you know, you can write us a review. You can follow us in all the places, whether it be on Twitter at Work Stoppage Pod. Uh, you can listen to John's show. Will he? He will be back uh, next time. And uh, that is Beep Beep Lettuce. And you can uh, also listen to the coming... Well, you can't listen to the finale just yet, but there is a finale of Red Game Table coming up for this season. So you get excited about that. And uh, I guess that's pretty much all for this week. As we say, labor peace is not in our interest. It's solidarity forever. Solidarity, everybody. (laughs) 